Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, where we hear from you, the true experiences you've had with the paranormal, and we try to understand them. This week, we're listening to more true paranormal encounters from you, and we're talking about monsters. If you have had any kind of experience with the paranormal, from ghosts to Bigfoot to aliens, then please get in touch and tell us your story. And here's the address. It's paranormalactivitypod at gmail.com. That's paranormalactivitypod at gmail.com. Now, let's get our teeth and nails into some monsters. Perhaps the most famous unexplained monster, of course, has to be the Loch Ness Monster. It was first spotted in 565 AD. In written records, it was discovered that a strange type of sea serpent had attacked and had tried to consume a farmer. A religious man, St Columba, who was responsible for introducing Christianity to Scotland, witnessed the attack and by his raising of his hand, bringing about the power of the Lord, he commanded the beast, go back with all speed. But it was in the 1930s that the famous photograph of Nessie took the world by storm. A Londoner, R.K. Wilson, took a most convincing shot of what looked like a humpback dinosaur um, protruding out of the lock. In fact, since then, there are around about 20 sightings per year of the elusive Loch Ness Monster. Books, documentaries and Hollywood movies have all been besotted with this wonderful creature. Is Nessie real, though? or just a made-up hoax that's lasted just a few hundred years. The most recent sighting happened this year. A father and daughter from Chester were holidaying in the area. And they noticed seeing ripples and an unidentified object protruding again out of the water whilst hill walking. So for me and many other people around the world, Nessie has to be the most famous. And I believe it can't be the same creature from 565 AD. Maybe there's a whole family of them that live in the deep depths of Loch Ness. I really hope it's real. Keep your eyes peeled. If you ever visit Loch Ness, you never know. You might encounter the monster of the deep. 
Now, I'm very excited because this is a first for me. I've never had the chance to talk to a true Loch Ness Monster expert. And we have him on the line now, Adrian Shine. Welcome. Well, I'm delighted to be joined on the Paranormal Activity podcast by Adrian Shine, who is the leader of the Loch Ness Projects. And he's been engaged in the field um, work in the Highlands since 1973. That's an awful long time, Adrian. When did you first um, begin your career? Yes, it was even worse than that. I took an interest as a schoolboy in the 1960s the books written by people like Ted Holliday and Tim Dinsdale I would get from the library. I was fascinated by the idea that there might be some some large unusual creature, you know, something beyond the, the birds of my Surrey garden to take my interest. And, um, well, it, it sort of grew from there. What, in your mind, has been the most realistic and uh, fascinating piece of evidence that you've come across? Uh, Well, the most fascinating piece of evidence, there's no scientific evidence of any value at all, as far as I'm concerned, uh, to the existence of a very large, uh, unusual creature in Loch Ness. Uh, that is unknown to science. I think there's some evidence that creatures unusual to Loch Ness might have come in. But the most fascinating thing is the huge volume of eyewitness testimony from people, honest people, sober people, who insist that there is a large unknown animal in Loch Ness. And that is really what has been taking my interest for the last 20 years. Because as as with the paranormal, not all these people, like you say, they're sober, they're sensible, you know, they're not mad. They're not imagining these things. They're not making it up. They are seeing something. So a bit like myself and, and me trying to work out exactly what spirits and ghosts are, you're trying to work out exactly what they are seeing, I suppose. Yes, that that is true. Initially, I think we, we all uh, in the 70s, for example, took the view that the eyewitness evidence was important and possibly overwhelming, and that what we should do was to go and see if there was anything big in Loch Ness. And so the beginning of my career was actually delving about in the water, uh, submersible observation chambers, that sort of thing, and underwater television throughout the 70s. Uh, My skepticism began to grow from about 1976 when um, we realized that some of the underwater pictures from Loch Ness were not what they were cracked up to be. We began to look then much more at, if you like, re-examining the eyewitness evidence, not in terms of whether people were honest or not, but in terms of things which happened on Loch Ness which, in a sense, confirmed what they were reporting. And, of course, part of what they are reporting does depend to a degree, we've found by experiment, upon what you might be expecting to see. It isn't so much that we see what we want to see, but um, in, in my philosophy, we often see the things we are supposed to see. And it's obvious that in the case of Loch Ness, what we are supposed to see is a Loch Ness monster. Now, 
how are we primed uh, for what we should be seeing? Well, interestingly enough, there are two things, actually contradictory things, but, but actually coexisting stereotypes that we do see in Loch Ness. One of them is a long, multi-humped, I call a sea serpent, because sea serpents are where the Loch Ness Monster is derived from in that form, the multi-humped form. The other form, the conflicting form, is the long-necked plesiosaur stereotype. That is the four-flippered reptile contemporary with the dinosaurs. Now, that is exactly what happened at sea with sea serpents and sea monsters in the 19th century. Now, initially, if you look at the New England coast, people were seeing serpents, sea serpents, the great New England sea serpent. Hundreds of people saw it off the coast of Massachusetts. But as the century wore on, expectations began to change, and naturalists, at least, wondered whether, in fact, the sea serpent, although it had a serpentine neck, might not be a serpent at all. To begin with, it was wiggling the wrong way, up and down. Snakes wiggle side to side. And uh, zoologists like Udemans and others had noticed that. And they wondered whether the supposedly extinct plesiosaur might actually be extant in the oceans. And so at the end, by the end of the century, people were actually seeing plesiosaurs instead of big snakes, even though the previous stereotype never completely went away. But what happened then was that I think public expectation began to flag in terms of sea serpents, although they are, they are still occasionally seen, and they transferred the exact stereotype, the exact model, into lakes, inland lakes. And I think it was really because the sea, although a plausible lost world, because it's so huge and we know we don't know too much about it, is nevertheless too large an environment for people to actually interact with in an individual way. Um, nobody goes out hunting sea serpents anymore. And Loch Ness, being in a, well, a civilized country and only 14 miles south of the Highland capital, I think was seen as a more manageable thing. It's absolutely fascinating, um, everything that you're saying. But one thing that I find interesting is that, so if I've got this right, um, creatures like the plesiosaurus and the breeding forms, they've come together perhaps from the sea, they've come into the, to the lake and they've bred and perhaps that's what people are seeing, some sort of either multi-form or the reptile form. Is that right? Well, that is what some of the theorists have suggested on the basis that perhaps Loch Ness was more open to the sea um, after the last ice age. But we've no evidence from the fossil record that the sea at that time was populated with plesiosaurs. We've got abundant strata of whales and dolphins, you know, the marine mammals that took over from the Jurassic reptiles at sea. But there's no evidence that there were plesiosaurs at sea to come into Loch Ness. Um, as for 
whether there are reptiles in Loch Ness, well, the most recent and the most elegant process has been applied to Loch Ness in the form of environmental DNA. Anything living in water that is living will shed cells. Um, it could be skin cells, fecal matter, you name it, but there will be cells there. And just two years ago with Professor Gamble uh, from New Zealand, we sampled Loch Ness end-to-end, side-to-side and top-to-bottom. There is no reptile DNA in Loch Ness that we can find. In other words, as far as a viable breeding population, which you mentioned, no, I'm afraid not. That's off the menu because there isn't any DNA there. So do you think people are just imagining these sightings then? No, they are not imagining the things that they see. They are reporting, in my view, fairly accurately the things that they see. They will see solid, inky, black, multi-humped creatures moving along Loch Ness. The fact that those same images have been produced by a boat wake will not occur to them because they won't see the boat. It's miles away. Boat wakes are very persistent. That is one of the findings of the initial investigators of Loch Ness. These multi-humped forms went out in the 60s. That's when it was discovered that the multi-humped forms were boat wakes. Right. Which, by the way, translates to a degree back into the sea serpent sightings. But leaving that aside, you've then got the the long-necked sightings, you know, the famous surgeon's picture. Which, which actually we now know is a fake. Long-necked creatures with flexible necks are seen in Loch Ness. They are, we call them birds, water birds. And on a flat, calm surface, which the old Nessie hunters called Nessie weather, you will see water birds and other things, perhaps exaggerated in scale because you've got no visual cue to distance. Mm. You cannot, at the same time, if you do do not know your distance mentally, you will not know your size. And that's, that's the issue. So what we're left with now are some possibilities, because we don't want to let go of our fun, do we? <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> you don't want to poo-poo it all. No, no, we don't want to do that. That would be absolutely unthinkable. So when we found in the 90s, and it was about then, that actually one of my mistakes was to think that Loch Ness had enough food for a population of resident predators, but it probably doesn't. Uh, It's unproductive. I was overestimating the size of the fish contacts we were getting. We don't think there is enough to sustain a population of very large predators. Uh, But when we look at the animal types, leaving aside the DNA, we know what we've got there or what we haven't got. Well, mammals eat a lot and they would rise to the surface to breathe. Reptiles couldn't stand the cold water. They certainly couldn't breed in it, not the reptiles we have now, certainly. Uh, what does it leave us with? Fish. And that's what we we personally, uh, Loch Ness Project and some others, uh, would be looking for. Fish. 
It's one of the things that Sir Peter Scott thought was possible. And the eDNA shed some light upon the current theories. And the three current theories, which are all fish, my favorite is the sturgeon, the migratory fish that would only enter Loch Ness to spawn, doesn't even feed in fresh water. And they've never been known to breed in Britain. But they do, navigationally challenged ones, have blundered up British rivers as much as 50 miles. But the key thing is that, yes, you could see a sturgeon in Loch Ness, which would not find a mate, would go away again. And if you're looking for a really elusive candidate for an unusual creature to Loch Ness, then the sturgeon would be a classic, because it wouldn't be there most of the time. The other lateral theory that came up by a chap called Dick Rayner, was the European catfish, which is a huge, ugly thing. Uh, it's really a mouth with a tail. And some of the witnesses have said they see something very ugly. But the point about the catfish is they don't live in Britain. They didn't make it across the channel as the ice melted. So his idea is that possibly catfish were introduced to some of the surrounding lochans and that one or two might have made it into Loch Ness. They probably make a living there if there are only a, only a few of them. They don't breed until the water gets over 20 degrees. So like the sturgeon, they wouldn't breed, but they live a very long time, a bit like sturgeon are supposed to as well, maybe 100 years or so. Even a single catfish could live in Loch Ness for a long time. Um, the last theory is the eunuch eel. Now that would be entering Loch Ness in plain sight because the idea is that one of the ordinary eels would not go back to the Sargasso Sea to, to spawn, but would grow enormous and it wouldn't breed and therefore the eunuch eel. So that would fit the criteria in that it wouldn't be a resident population, it would just be the odd individual could probably make a living in Loch Ness. Uh, it wouldn't breed because it's a eunuch eel. Um, and there was lots of eel DNA. So that's the rationale behind it. And that is where the fun remains. The most elegant scientific process that has ever been applied to Loch Ness cannot prove or disprove Adrian Shine's sturgeon theory or Dick Rayner's catfish theory, or Dennis Tucker's eunuch eel theory, and the fun remains. <laughs> well, for me, um, I'm going to go with a eunuch eel theory, um, just because I, I like the sound of the name, the eunuch eel. I think it, it, it conjures up this amazing image of a huge eel sort of swimming and gliding through Loch Ness. So maybe it should be called the Loch Ness eunuch eel monster. Well, there are some people who would like to say that. I don't actually subscribe myself, but um, <laughs> but it is a, it is a, a fascinating and you know, a fascinating thought. It really is. Do you know, Adrian? I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to you. I could listen to your voice for hours. Absolutely wonderful, and I've learned an awful lot. And next time I go to Loch Ness, I shall uh, think about those three uh, theories: um, either sturgeon, catfish, or a eunuch 
eel. Like you say, it's not taking the fun of it out of it. There's still a monster in Loch Ness. We just don't know what it is. Adrian Shine, thank you so very much. Uh, it's been absolutely wonderful uh, listening to you. And I hope you'll come back as a guest again on the podcast. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hello and welcome to A to Z of Men, a brand new podcast that helps explain, well, men. Each week, myself, Chris Brooks. And me, Scott Robinson. We take on a different letter of the alphabet. What? In order? Yeah, in order. We will find a word that best describes men that starts with that letter. So it's basically like a guide. Like a guide, yeah, that's correct. This will really help me explain myself to the wife. We tackle topics such as mental health, stereotypes, and stupid things us men do. Don't forget sex. Oh, and sex. So join us each Wednesday as we create the A to Z of men. You can find us wherever you get your podcast from, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Acast. Just search for A to Z of men. So, from the obvious to the more unusual monster, the chupacabra, which in Spanish means goat sucker, is said with absolute fear in some parts of Mexico, Puerto Rico and the United States of America. It's described as a truly horrendous demonic animal with long, sharp claws and three huge tusks. It has recently been spotted at a voodoo ground in the trees in Mexico. Now, there's a place I just need to go to is a voodoo ground. First of all, what's that? Secondly, I need to be there. Uh, Sorry, digress. Um, It was reported to have been seen running from a sinkhole near a grave. It's believed to love blood and suck the life out of goats and other animals. It's been described by so many different witnesses as many different creatures, from a winged kangaroo, (laughs) a goblin, 
to a predatory monkey. And some people believe it's an escaped United States experiment um, or a spine-backed alien. Well, I'd love to see all of these. No one knows where this elusive monster came from. But one thing's for sure, it loves to leave dead bodies in its wake. It's obviously a real creature, as too many people have witnessed the appalling sight of all their animals and livestock having been sucked of blood. I've even heard of villagers leaving dead offerings outside their homes so as to hopefully keep the monster from going on a killing spree. I'm sure in time we'll discover the truth behind the legend of the Chubracabra. Maybe we'll discover... It was just a rabid dog. But I think we'll all be a little bit disappointed. I certainly will be. There's something about the legends of these creatures that keeps our imaginations ticking over. Next time on this subject, we'll be going in depth about the legend that is Bigfoot. But I'll just tell you quickly about a Japanese legend, monster slash ghost, um, that I absolutely love. And maybe J.K. Rowling was inspired by just a little bit of this story. It's called The Girl in the Bathroom. Hanoko-san is a Japanese urban legend about the spirit of a young girl called Hanoko-san who haunts school bathrooms. Apparently, you have to go up to the third floor of the building, knock on the uh, stall three times and call the girl's name out three times, then open the stall door and apparently the terrifying image of a small ghost girl will be sat on the loo wearing a red skirt and fashioning a short bob dark haircut. Now, why is she there? Allegedly, she may want to play or get this, drag you into the bowels of hell through the toilet itself with her claw-like lizard hands. Apparently, the legend comes from a young girl who was killed during an air raid in World War II. I know as a child, uh, if another classmate had asked me to go and summon Hanoko-san, I would have screamed and rather than go to the loo, I would have just gone in my pants. Now, I've never seen Nessie or Bigfoot. Believe me, I wish I had, along with a few other million people. But I have been in a situation where myself, my team, including Paul O'Grady, thought that perhaps we might see something not of this world. I'm not talking about ghosts. Um, We were doing an investigation into the Italian island of Paveglia, uh, an island that was used to get rid of thousands of corpses during the plague. Um, they're literally, these, these bodies were just dumped um, on the island. Some people with the plague who were still living were just, again, just dumped on the island to fend for themselves. Bodies that were, you know, no longer living were, you know, who didn't make the island because the fishermen were just too frightened to go uh, too close to the island. They were just thrown into the waters. So apparently there are thousands and thousands of corpses in the water and on this particular island. Um, Obviously, you can't see them anymore, uh, but the remains are are, are there. Um, Now, there is also a derelict building on there. And my God, did we feel the fear. Um, I remember it was late at night and I remember seeing these ruins, you know, we sort of fought our way through all these trees and um, woodland. And there, what looked like to be an old hospital lay deathly silent and and black as ink in in this this awful place. You could hear the, the odd rustle of a wild, small animal scurrying about. 
And we encountered so much paranormal activity uh, inside this derelict building. It was truly terrifying and yet totally exhilarating. I mean, we had poltergeist activity. We had things thrown at us. We were hearing voices and knocking and screaming. And, oh, it was it was unbelievable. And then we sort of went back out uh, into the, the scrub and I'll never forget when Paul, you know how funny Paul O'Grady is. It was the way he, he he spoke to me and he said, I have just seen the biggest rabbit ever. And I was like, what? And he, but he said, it wasn't right. It was, it was enormous and it had big bulging eyes and its mouth was all misshapen and it was, it was a real mess. And all of a sudden it, it, we sort of, I sort of had a bit of a laugh about it. But then as we sort of spent more time sort of walking through uh, the woodland, we, we we thought, God, you know, what if there's sort of deformed rats or, you know, some other animals that are on this island that, that uh, over time have become plagued themselves with some sort of, I don't know, chemical or something. Maybe all the dead bodies have given off a gas that have affected all the animals. Who knows? And that sort of started me thinking really, you know, about Loch Ness and about Bigfoot. And, you know, if these monsters are real, is some of it because we as human beings have interfered with the atmosphere, you know, digging and 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 interfering with 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 earth's core materials and maybe we have maybe we've made these creatures ourselves this week's story is from george in kent whose family witnessed some very strange and frightening occurrences when visiting portugal in 2005 hello i'm george from kent and something strange happened to my family and i when we went on holiday to portugal in 2005 now this needs a bit of backstory first we went for a holiday during the summer but back home my great nan was ill in hospital she was widowed from my great granddad at this point uh he was a man who had fought in the war and not someone i really remember a great deal um but my mum did Anyway, we stayed in a small villa for two weeks, and the whole time my mum was worrying about her nan, and about halfway through the holiday, my parents and the family friends we were holidaying with decided to drink and have a meal outside under the stars, and deep into the night we all saw a shooting star. And my mum's wish was, of course, for my great nan to be kept safe. See, I was ten at the time, and, and was the oldest of the four kids on the holiday, so all I remembered was going to bed in the same room as I usually did. But I was woken up in the middle of the night by violent screaming from the family friend's five-year-old son. As I ran as fast as I could to find him in the villa, I found that my dad had already reached him despite staying in the room furthest away. Not only that, but the back door was swung wide open out into the dead orchard the villa overlooked, and everyone was insistent that the door had been shut securely when they went to bed. I swear I saw someone outside, like just a silhouette, but my worries were put down to like me being a child and my imagination running wild and nobody really believed me. Um, my mum kind of believed me but she wouldn't, like, stick up for me at that point. And at the time, I remember a horrible feeling of, of dread and unease for the rest of the night as all the adults just kept whispering to one another about something I wasn't allowed to hear. So, you know, it was mostly chalked up to sleepwalking and a nightmare, so nothing really to worry about. However, a few years later, I was told the reason why my dad was able to predict the scream that woke the rest of us up. It turns out that he and my mum hadn't been able to sleep at all all night. They'd been kept awake as my mum saw a middle-aged man in an army uniform mouthing something to her the moment they turned the lights out. He wasn't menacing or creepy or threatening, but apparently he was rather oddly comforting, because according to my mum it was my great-granddad in his army uniform, and the moment he smiled was the moment my dad heard the scream and leapt into action. 
So uneasy about everything that happened throughout the night, my mum immediately phoned home only to be met with my aunt saying, how did you know? Because my great nan had just passed. And it wasn't until I was told the full story of what happened that night that I decided there were just too many coincidences in such a short space of time for it to be anything I could ever explain. Well, I've heard so many stories like this. It seems that many spirits want to visit um, us within a very short space of time after their death. It's like they want to let us know that they are happy and that they're safe. In this case, it was George's great-grandfather letting his family know that his wife was joining him. He was seen mouthing something, talking. Now, I assume that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to communicate to say, she's here, she's with me, it's all okay. How wonderful to be able to witness such a sight. Initially, it must have been a little bit scary, though. But upon recognition, how comforting. Was the dark shadow the same ghost of the soldier? I think perhaps it probably was. Well, thank you so much, George, for sharing that story with us. And if you've had a close encounter with a ghost, um, with a monster, an alien or anything paranormal, please, please let me know. So please send in an audio clip telling your paranormal story to this address. It's paranormalactivitypod at gmail.com. That's paranormalactivitypod at gmail.com. And now... Oh, the modern technology that we are up to date with. It's ridiculous. We also have WhatsApp and you can send in your voice notes to 0759999-27537. That's 0759992737. We also have an Instagram page as well, so follow us at Paranormal Activity Pod. And remember, things aren't always as they see. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.